0: Welcome to the Guerrilla Social Work Podcast, your crackerjack clinical insurgents pitting evidence against anecdotes. Alrighty, podcast aficionados, get ready to strap in for a wild ride with the Guerrilla Social Work Podcast. I'm talking Jeff Siren Screamer Moore and Mace Warren, the dynamic duo of forensic psychotherapists who aren't afraid to wade through the murky waters of criminal rehab and redemption. Now hold on to your thinking caps because we've got a guest in the house. Amy Dashell is the name, and let me tell you, she's like a tornado of wisdom. This gal's been through the trenches, from being a substance user and homeless individual to becoming a peer support specialist. She's pursuing a master's degree at the University of Utah, all while juggling crisis intervention, administration, policy work, advocating for expungement, and behavioral health. She's been on more boards than a Monopoly game. Now here's a gem from Amy herself. We are not what we have done, we are everything we have overcome. Wise words from someone who's not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. Today's five-star rating is brought to you by something truly revolutionary. Introducing Dance Server. You know how those old dance movies, they have like dance-offs where a crews battle it out? Well, get this, with Dance Server, you're not just getting court papers served, oh, oh no. You're getting served with dance moves that'll blow your mind. I mean, can you imagine you open the door all grumpy and serious expecting some dull dude in a suit handing you court papers? No, no, no. Instead, a dance prodigy appears at your doorstep ready to bring the groove, boom. The Dance Server is serving up those sick moves and court papers in one epic combo. But wait, there's more. If you act now, we'll throw in some bonus Michael Jackson-inspired moonwalk action. Smooth criminal indeed. The dance server is a double threat, folks. You thought serving court papers couldn't get any more thrilling? Well, think again. We're talking it at taking it to the dance floor, making legal matters hip again. Order in the courtroom? How about dance-off in the courtroom? So head on over to website, www.danceserverextraordinaire.com, because you deserve the best, and so do your legal documents. With Dance Server, you're getting served court style and dance style. Remember to use our promo code FANCY for exclusive 10% off your first dance of fuse serving. The Dance Server, taking the term serving to a whole new level. And now, on with the show.
1: to do warm-up exercises, you know, breathing, like, la 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 Oh, no, you know, like, I, I was, I was thought you were going to say I was using, like, grounding
0: exercises.
1: <laughs> Five things I can see.
0: Yeah, oh, dude. Oh. Why are you
1: saying it like that? Notice are you making...
2: sensations in your body. Are you, <laughs> make...
1: are you making fun of grounding exercises, you two? Certainly not. Okay. I'm making fun of the preposterousness of you having to use a grounding <laughs> exercise. <laughs> really, you would never. Used a grounding exercise. Hold on, hold on. Now, Are you, you is... saying you're
0: above it? No, I'm oh, not. ai okay. probably should use it. <laughs> I mean, my yeah. grounding exercises. Oh, that reminds me. My grounding exercises usually involve breaking something. Yeah. <laughs> like I, <you> I, Smash <laughs> things on the ground. That's yeah. your grounding. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but Amy, we'll have it on good authority, though. Like, and I want you to be honest here. Okay. All I want right. you to be honest. All right. Um, When we do a presentation, right? Because that's, that's where you, you saw our, our lovely guest today. It was at a presentation, that's right. right? Uh, who, who stresses about that? And who, like, who has, who does way more prep work than the other?
1: What well, do you want a, do you want to inside track on this?
0: Well, I'm just telling you, I, I put slides together and I'm like, dude, I don't even look at them till we go that day. And then you, my friend are the one, oh, are we, dude, do you know which slides you're doing? I didn't imagine. Like, yeah, you're the one who stresses about it. So let's not talk about presenting do you publicly want the inside story on. This? I'm sorry. You have to be here for this. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. What's the inside story for this? So. I've learned that sometimes it's like, so if we're on like an airplane and, you know, my wife and I are flying somewhere yeah. and she's, you know, she gets really nervous about turbulence. But mm-hmm. if I get even more nervous about the turbulence, she calms me down and then she feels better paradoxically. And oh. So really, I'm kind of doing that for you. Oh, it's for, a
2: sacrifice. I've
1: never, <laughs> I've never once been nervous <laughs> for a presentation That's because I've calmed you down. Okay, no, no, no.
0: <laughs> but hey, going back to your point of the grounding, dude. I was thinking. I was just talking about this before we started. I got a new, I got a new job. And anybody who's listening, any listeners, um, y- y- like thi- this might be your dream job. Okay. I just want to. And I don't. I, we we got to think of a. We got to workshop the name of this so I can put a job description together and put it out on Indeed. Okay. So I just need somebody full time to sit by me okay while we're working and any time that I lose my temper which is multiple times a day just hand me a pencil so I can snap it okay just that's That's it it? that's it right (laughs) just have a box of Ticonderoga's
1: (laughs) those are hard to snap (laughs) those are the good pencils but
0: like do you know how many times a day I'm just (laughs) just, (laughs) pencil yeah yeah exactly exactly and what would we call that though
2: mace's lack of regulation <laughs> the,
0: the job title the job title yeah, yeah well yeah you're like, right you're right like yeah. pencil squire pencil squire pencil squire. Ah, yeah. pencil, pencil. Yeah. but they'd have to get used to it as well like be ready to know when i need it you like know what see i mean you ramping up right right because yeah. because and i feel like that will offset the eventual heart attack i'm gonna have right yeah like pencil <laughs> squire is a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, should we introduce our guest here? I suppose. Oh yeah. And, and uh we, yeah, Your last name again, though. Dashel. Dashel. I was going to say douchel, which uh, does anybody ever said that?
2: That relates a little bit more to you. True. (laughs) That is, (laughs) that is, that
0: is true. I will, I will take that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of how it has to go. So, uh, so Amy is uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm going to roll with fortunately uh, one of my former students and then also has done some really good work in the field of uh, of addiction. And uh, we saw her present at the, what the university of wait, the Utah Criminal Justice, that's
2: Convention.
0: It. Convention. UCJC. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Excellent work. That was with uh. Well, I'll let you talk about that. But uh. So yeah, Amy Dash Dashil. Yeah. Okay. Why did I think the other way? I don't know I don't why know. I thought that.
2: I, I can't explain the inner workings of your brain. Yeah, you don't want to either. You don't want to either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, so, um. So yeah. First of all, I mean. Uh, you know, congrats. Cause you, you just got what you showed me today. Something really cool. That you got oh, from Doppel, yeah. right? I
2: just got my first licensure.
0: Okay. Thank God. Nice. Like it
2: feels like it's paying off finally. Which is
0: what? What's the official license that so, you got?
2: So just certified ASUDC.
0: Right. Which I mean, I I will take credit that had she not met me along the way, that she wouldn't have gotten that. So it's
1: all mace.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Want to explain what that is? That-
2: so certified advanced substance use disorder mm-hmm. certificate.
1: So. Nice. Formerly called a level.
0: yeah, formerly called a uh
1: what was that? What else, like a LSAC. Oh is that what that oh that's what that is now? Um no 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 that that's what that is, yeah. And LSAC is now a certified substance abuse, what is
0: it? Which LSAC was a licensed substance abuse counselor, right. right?
1: Yeah. That's well, not a thing anymore?
0: No, they oh. changed it. Which probably good because we, I mean we have our LCSWs and there's CSWs, so would that mean that you were a SAC? <laughs> i'm glad they changed it yeah. Yeah. yeah you know what i mean like yeah other otherwise what was they, it they
1: were forced to change it
0: yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure <laughs> i'm a sack you know, well i know that but what's mm-hmm. your what's your clinical certification <laughs> so you you work uh that that is primarily for clients with a substance use disorder yes. right uh-huh. okay um and you so you went through um a program for for that specifically correct correct okay Okay, and then now what are you doing?
2: So now I work for Ross Legal. is what I'm doing now. I'm okay. I'm doing my master's, um, so I still have two semesters left for my master's.
0: In social work? In social work. At your alma mater too. Yeah. Is that, what you, is that the word for it? That's the word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and you have a, a and you you too I learned along the way have a history of substance use as well, right? I do. Okay. So, well, congrats on that as well. I think like that's one of the things that I think uh is useful for today is um the it's always nice we have I, that's what, I need to figure this out too. I always feel bad cuz when we do these segments cuz we have these before. Have you ever Amy religiously listens to our podcast. She's never oh. missed an episode. In fact, she told me she falls asleep to it every night. Oh so, probably when I start talking, <laughs> yeah, Here you do go. have a soothing voice. <laughs> Mine feels like somebody's pouring nails and Drano in your ears. <laughs> That's why we balance each other well. I got it. Yeah. I got it. I need to figure out a filter or something. <laughs> but, but, um, if you ever seen our, we usually call this segment Villains to Victory, right? But you, you don't strike me as a villain though. We got to figure something else out. It'll wow. probably just be villains to victory, but hey, yeah. <laughs> it's the segment <laughs> yeah. so so um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if that that might be a good place to start, like, uh because that's that's a long, hard road out of hell to get to where you are right now. and I think that's pretty fascinating for a lot of listeners to hear how things were bad and then you were able to crawl out from that. So uh, tell us a little bit about that how that how that all come about?
2: So not your typical story, right? So I normal childhood. Parents married 35 years and uh, loving family, you know, good student, all the things. Raised in the church, you know, got married at 19. So like life was just normal all the way up until I hit about 35 Mm -hmm. and my whole world came falling apart. Wow, 35, huh? 35. I had 12 foot surgeries and they prescribed Oxycontin and Mm -hmm. they had me and this went over a year and a half went through three different surgeons to correct the damage that the original surgeon did. And so they had me on so much pain medication. I was taking five 30 milligram oxys a day.
0: Wow, what was the original injury?
2: It was just a routine surgery.
0: Just no a routine
2: way. bunion correction. What? Oh, routine. yeah. And, yeah, that's not a big surgery. So now I've got nerve damage, like i all kinds of damage. That was eight. the
1: original surgeon wrecked your foot that bad. He wrecked had to get- it. So this wrecked was a, it. a, a bo- took
2: three surgeons to correct it. So this is just yeah. a bunion
0: removal, and because of the botched surgery, that that led to a bunch of other corrections. But mm-hmm. of course, that's your feet. And that's a really bad place to be dealing with that. So then the uh, the oxys were prescribed associated with that. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Well,
2: I mean, and it was, I kept going back to the same surgeon initially mm-hmm. and that was his, that was his cure for it. Okay, mm-hmm. just take these, it's gonna heal. Take these, it's gonna heal. And it just wouldn't heal. And it just kept reopening and reopening and more damage and more damage. And
0: What year was that when it first happened?
2: Oh gosh, let's see, I'm 45 now. So it was 10 years ago.
0: Oh, that's, that's right about when like Oxy was still popping at yeah. that point too, right? Yeah. yeah. okay. I mean,
2: that's when it was like e- e- so easy to get, right? But I mm-hmm. didn't know, you know? I mean, I, I didn't know it was gonna just awake this demon in me. And sure. I, 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 I got so dependent upon the medication. So again, yeah. I wasn't like knowledgeable about withdrawals or what that is or mm-hmm. this and that, you know? And I was working in the mortgage industry. So I had a career in the mortgage industry. I was married at the time and... uh my life just fell apart mom commits suicide like she went through a 15-year breakdown and so i was like right in the middle of all that trying to help my dad with her keep her alive Mm -hmm. domestic violence marriage so i was going through a divorce um, at the end of it and uh started treating all this emotional trauma with the pills right because i knew what they did Mm -hmm. right and and doctor finds out severs me from the pain medication And I can't go through the withdrawal. I'm going through a divorce. I've got two kids to support. So Mm -hmm. I start paying for this medication, you know, just from people I knew. I used to be a former bartender back in my 20s. I -hmm. had connections. Mm -hmm. I need to make a paycheck to take care of my children. Sure. So I was just buying these pills, $80 of pills where I was working for pills. Wow. And uh, my ex-husband absconds with my kids out of state. Yeah. As we're going through the divorce, just kidnaps them. I had full custody. So between the trauma of just losing my mom, not knowing how to cope, and you take my freaking children away mm-hmm. from me, like, boom. Mm-hmm. Boom. I was just medicating like it was nobody's business.
0: So initially, initially, this was not – I mean, there was – I don't know if anybody ever starts that. Like, man, I want to get an addiction going here. I, I, obviously, this was – I have pain that's associated with, you know, this, this surgery, but then life kind of took a shit on you along the way. Um, like it does. And then it it started to be a a coping mechanism. It sounds like a hundred percent. Right. And then, and then, and then a lot of this stuff just, I mean, I mean, geez, God, who wouldn't want to numb out from all that crap, you know, that was happening then? Which kind of that's what it sounds like was happening.
2: Yeah, and it just kept it just kept increasing. So when all this went, went, was going on, my kids are gone. my I'm taking care of my dad because he's going through an emotional breakdown of the loss of my mom. I mean, mm-hmm. with good reason, right? Right. Who wouldn't? He's di- diabetic, not taking care of himself, and has an aneurysm. So now I've got my dad to take care of. And wow. so it was just boom, 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 all within a six-month period
1: that was within a six month in a period. Six
2: month period. All about a six month period. And so it it just got how, to the point
1: of how deep into so <clears throat> the foot surgery and all the recorrections, like you know, you, you got on the, the dose that you were taking. What how far into you taking opiates did that whole slew of crap happen? Was that like a couple years deep into it?
2: So I I was on them for a year and a half medically prescribed. Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yeah, medically prescribed. And then the the six months after that period is when it was just a downfall. So the doctor severs me. I can't go through the withdrawal. I can't sustain myself. I can't pay the bills kids are gone it's when the kids left is when it when it really turned into an addiction that's mm-hmm. when i was coping that's when i was numbing that's when i didn't know how to deal and i just started increasing the amount of opiates i was taking to where it became it was not affordable anymore so then you seek other options right and that,
0: yeah and that was well the, and that seems like it was a deliberate effort right like yeah. because so many bad things were going on and i mean just a, a, a mini Islands of relief would feel really good at that point just from dealing with all that. Did you Did you along the way like prior to then did you ever start to like think man? This is this is gonna be an issue you mentioned Not knowing about withdrawals or anything like that. Did you ever like along the way be like, oh no, this is gonna be trouble
2: Yeah, well, I mean the first withdrawal when I experienced that first withdrawal of like, okay I I can just go off of these like I it's getting too expensive. Let's just be done. Mm -hmm. I tried and that withdrawal was brutal. I wanted to die. What I literally like? wanted to die. And I'm like, I cannot function like this. I will do anything to not feel this way.
0: Wow. Yeah,
2: it was the, intense.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I always think about like the Sackler family and what they're they're doing with like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, untold billions associated with all this stuff, you know, like about because I, I can't remember what. It, it, it obviously was uncovered that obviously they knew all this was going to happen right. with oxys and everything like that. But, and, and I was like, man, the equation that they must've done in Do their head, care? you know, well, well the sinisterness of it is, is like, okay, if I don't know what, what they made on it, but let, let's say they made 12 billion and then they had to pay 5 billion or, you know, for all the, the lawsuits and, and thing. And I was like, oh, you still made seven bills, son. Like, you know what I mean? Like just how just dirty that is. That's crazy. That's crazy to have to, and and knowing full well that people were going to go through the experience that Mm. you went through and people say, I'm an asshole. I mean, come on, Dave. Like, I mean, maybe it's, maybe I still am. I'm just saying there's worse people out there, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's wild. The so into your uh, initial withdrawal, like I don't know, there, there's going to be some people. I mean, <clears throat> Mason and I work at uh, Weber County Jail, and so you know, we we see a lot of people that are day two, day three into you know a withdrawal from you know fentanyl or whatever it is, and so we 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 see a bit about what that's like. But there, I think there might be some listeners that don't know what that experience is actually like. And as wondering if you're willing to take us through just kind of like, you know, sort of the, just a brief, maybe timeline of what is last dose of opiates and then sort of like what happens in the next few days.
2: Yeah. Well, first thing I want to make clear is that coming up withdrawing from Oxycontin versus withdrawing from heroin. And we'll get into that story of how I fell into heroin, right? Oh, okay. 10 times worse. Than a heroin withdrawal. Oh, prescription medication was ten times worse of a withdrawal than it was coming off of heroin. I don't know if it's because it's a a medication. Kind of makes sense. It's like but- right.
0: It's like medically manufactured to be more efficient, right? Like versus. I mean, I don't pretend to know how heroin. So it's a more been.
1: effective drug, meaning it 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 hits those synapses more effectively yeah
0: yeah yeah like uh i've i mean and you've probably heard this too i mean a lot of my clients have shared with me that um uh, a suboxone withdrawal or a methadone withdrawal is way worse than a heroin withdrawal. I didn't know this. Heroin's just not, uh, heroin's not nearly as, as, uh, le- yeah, yeah. Sure. The purity associated with, and, and the effectiveness in terms of, of like delivery systems, you know, so of, or the binding agents. to that makes that either. sense. I never considered that, but that makes sense. I didn't know that. So you're, so you're going through the worst withdrawals. So you, you, you start that, and then how soon after you stop do the symptoms start to set in?
2: Oh, within hours.
0: Within hours. Within hours. Wow.
2: So I, I could, it would be like every eight hours that I would need like a pill or something. Oh, and so within the first couple hours, um, when I'd start to go and withdrawal, like you're very lethargic. you were just, you're feeling on edge. You're feeling really anxious. Um, by the midday- on your first day of withdrawal, like your skin starts to crawl. You get really hot. You get really mm. cold. You're sweating. You're uncomfortable. You can't, you're just restless. By that night, you are not sleeping. You are throwing up. You are having digestive problems. Like you, you can't eat. And for me, my experience was what pushed me over the edge to where I would go seek out was I wanted to rip my spine out. There's this feeling that just rolls down through your spine that Uh i cannot explain like somebody who's been through a withdrawal can relate but you have this horrific feeling down your spine to where you literally want to dig into your spine and just rip it out wow it is the worst feeling and that's usually about day three Okay. okay um day four you're just super sick you don't want to talk to anybody. Day five, you start to feel a little better. I mean, you're... So day
0: three's peak.
2: Day three's the worst. Okay, okay. Day three's the worst always. Yeah, that's when you just can't take it anymore. That's when you're calling everybody, you know. Yeah, that's when I you will, have the spine I ripping. I will give you my car <laughs> for a hit. Like, it's it's that intense of a need. Like,
1: desperation sounds it's like. Complete desperation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I think
0: that, that narrative is important because people like, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's if they see it portrayed in like movies and stuff, it's always just showing somebody like that looks kind of sick and people are like, well, I've been sick before. Why don't you de- just deal with them? Like, <laughs> exactly. okay. Nobody's talking about your cold, Jimmy. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. like it, it's a little bit, I've never, I've never been that sick before. I, I've had a fever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. I've had to drink
1: some Sprite. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> sip on some noodles. <laughs> like yeah, i never like that. That sounds like horrible. That's a, I mean, I say a great description. I don't know if great's the word I'm looking for, but definitely it paints a picture.
0: Well, you know, and the weird thing about that is, is like, even when you're really, really sick, like I think about like stomach flu, right? Like, I mean, stomach flu, it, it's not comparable to that, but to me that that's about as close as I can get as to being really sick and miserable. Like you can't drink anything. You can't, it, if you move, you throw up, you know what I mean? And I'm like, is there something I can just take to stop this from happening? Like, is there and you can't, there's nothing, you know, cause even if you try to take a medication that calms your stomach down, you throw that up too. And I was like, okay, dummies. Listen, if there's, if you're going through a withdrawal and you feel like that, but there is a guaranteed pill or not necessarily a pill, but there's something you could take and immediately feel better, feel better. I was like, yeah. you do it every single time. That's you do wild it every single it time, dummy. Way. Yeah. Yeah, it is for sure. But they they don't have the comparison. So they would. That's what I'm saying is so. And yes, you're feeling you're feeling off for different reasons. Right. Like your biological ecosystems kind of changed a little bit because of the drug use. But at the same time,
1: like who wouldn't want to just feel back to normal? Right. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 got to be like so alluring. Just one phone call.
2: Yeah. Well, I phone think,
1: call, and you're feeling better.
2: I think you have to really take in. I mean, you you labeled it perfectly. Desperation, right? It's not just the physical hell that you're going through mm. that makes you seek it out. It is that complete belief that you are literally going to die. If you do not take this okay. feeling away, that's mm. very important to like know because most people are like, you're just sick, tough it up, blah, blah, blah. And I used to be one of those people right before I fell into addiction. I used to be that person of like, I can never understand how somebody can rob a pharmacy. You go through that type of withdrawal and you will so quickly understand why people do what they do because you literally can't explain it. It's not just being sick. It You get to such a mental state of I will do anything or I am going to die or you wish you were dead.
0: You know what part of it I think is? I think part of it is, is I don't think other people like to imagine that they're capable of getting to that point, right? right. It's easier to just paint the picture that this is a bad person. And, and they were- It happens to other people. Right. They were a yeah. flawed character from Jump Street. And that that's a lot easier to do that than, than imagine like, Oh, wait, what if I had a bad surgery and I was dealing with pain management and this, you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 I think it's to cast it as this is a bad character put you in a position of, of, well, they're different than me. That's, that's way different than me versus just acknowledging that who wouldn't want to feel better. And, and, you know, just, Oh, oh, I'm totally capable of being at a point where I'm desperate enough. I'd do anything to feel better.
1: I mean, it hits people from all walks of life. I mean, you you were saying that you didn't start getting into that until you You say 35? 35. That seems like late. That's way late. Late in the game. And I was
2: a bartender for 15 years in the drug scene, in the party scene. Never had an issue. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't my, I mean, did I dabble here and there in my 20s? Sure, let's be honest, right? But was it ever an issue? No, nothing ever took a hold of me. Like opiates awoke a demon that I never knew I had. Mm. Took a hold of me in a way that I could have never have imagined. Yeah. You know,
1: the, the way you were describing the thoughts that go through your head, like that, that intensity is like startling almost here. It, it, it's, it's almost like it's like, it's like with you right now, even when you describe it, just yeah. the, the memory of what's that, what that likes to be like pulled into that desire just to get that fix. Yeah. yeah. It's
0: almost like I, I've kind of like th- things like that. That's really helpful even for like when I try to think about that and Whenever I think about like, because uh, okay, it, like I think about drugs, and I probably everybody does this. Everybody thinks about drugs they might like, right? Like to try. And I always thought, man, cocaine looks awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Plenty of eighties movies and, right. and everything, you know. And uh, uh, well, yeah, there was there was a time in America. It was like. Mid Coke pre AIDS, that man, the country was on fire. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. best time to be alive. You know, you know like, what I mean? Those discos were popping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And then I was like, but then I thought about that. I was like, dude, I feel like if I were to try it, I would like it way too much. And it would, like you said, awaken a part of me that. I think is better left on like
1: (laughs) unawoken. You know what I mean? It's good that, and that's that's the thing just to kind of go back to something you were saying. It's it's good that you like recognize that in yourself rather than having the, it couldn't happen to me type mindset.
0: Right. Same reason like when I was a kid and I didn't do that, you know looking in the mirror and saying candy man three times or what yeah. <laughs> not taking my chances <laughs> like, yeah. damn dude i ain't yeah. going to try coke either so yeah. <laughs> so so the withdrawals got to the point where um you were obviously using but 80 bucks a pill that is so expensive 80 bucks a pill so that's usually the kind of the pathway correct me if i'm wrong that most people say this is unsustainable right. and not only that just access i mean even if you have all the money in the world like Oxy's seem especially nowadays really hard to come by and that is was kind of the pathway heroin yeah
2: oh yeah i mean it was that first introduction to a ten dollar bag of heroin eighty dollars or a ten dollar bag of heroin
1: is, is that kind of the is that a fair direct comparison like like what like so eighty dollars worth of synthetic opiates whatever it is is, is that is the eighty dollars for that a about equivalent to a ten dollar bag of heroin, like as far yeah, as like one
2: pill for eighty dollars dose or <laughs> yeah, what, the uh, dose uh, is the same. Okay, and like the length, the length of of your relief is the same, but but the high isn't the same.
1: Now, now, did you actually? I'd be curious to know what the difference is with the high. But I'm, I'm but I'm wondering if like you had to do any mental gymnastics to like go from like all right, this is something that you know, doctors created to like, kind of the stigma that comes with heroin. I'm I'm wondering if you had to like how you made it okay with yourself or, you know, bypassed the, whatever that barrier was that kept you from going down the route of heroin. Like how did, how did you make it okay with yourself?
2: It wasn't even a question. It it was a, it was a solution, right? It was just like that. It was like, you know what? $10 $10 and I don't have to feel like this. It was that quick. And within two months from the first dose of heroin, I was homeless.
0: And was it, legit? wow. Oh and was months. it, um, and was it, uh, like IV usage right away?
2: No, no. I started smoking first. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be a little careful. This is heroin, the big H, yeah, yeah. you know? And so, um, I would just smoke on the foils and it would give me the relief that I needed to where I'm not sick. And I was still holding the job at this time.
1: Sure.
2: And, uh, And it just started progressing. So the difference between the two is when I would take uh, OxyContin, being a pharmaceutical, it didn't make me lethargic. I legit felt like superwoman on these pills. I see. I could do anything. I was focused. I was on fire. I was like, this is when I was still in the mortgage industry when I was on the oxies, And so, I mean, I would kill it unless I was going through a withdrawal, right? Yeah. But heroin is such a different drug. One, it's not pure, you know? Two, so you don't know what you're getting in it. But it took me to a place of darkness that I never could have imagined. It was literally like going from Superwoman to having my soul sucked out of me.
0: So the functional aspect of it
2: completely different,
0: right? Yeah, because you can. I mean, like that—that seems like there's. I mean, uh, that that kind of tracks a lot with. We've talked about this before. Like, I mean, it seems like there's some. And I'm not. Say, I mean, I'm not saying any drug. We all know drugs are bad. We all graduated there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that like some drugs you can function on for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, like meth stands out to me. Like people. I mean, I'm not advocating for methamphetamine. what I'm saying is because of the nature of it, people are able to keep things on the, on track for a long time or even alcohol for that matter. Shit. Trucker, truckers can make a good living. Well, right, right. <laughs> or <laughs> should I watch all the seasons of Mad Men and those dudes were perpetually <laughs> yeah, drunk. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, but heroin seems like it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Like it, once heroin starts, there is like, that is the only matter of time drug, like of all of them. Like it, there is no way of keeping it on the rails
1: at that point. Yeah. So, so you, so you were saying then that smoking heroin, you were still able to, for, for a, like, well, cause you said within how long were you were homeless?
2: So I was homeless for two years,
1: but, but like into using heroin. So, so you went from, from pills to heroin within two
2: months, within two months yeah.
1: and you started out smoking it.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that just kind of speaks to what Mace is saying that like it, it's. You said it, it awoke a darkness in you. Oh, it did. What does that mean?
2: It did. So I, I, it's it's a hard thing to explain. You know, a lot of people ask me this, and I, it's so hard to put into words. I mean, it's one of those things that you have to experience. It, it It's like a state of hopelessness, you know? Hmm. it It's such a different high that you're just like, it just numbs you out, but you're so completely numb to where you're just trying not to live life, right? And, and it just starts to build this darkness and this hopelessness of you are not worthy. You are not this. And you're, you know, you're doing heroin and the shame starts coming And I can't explain mm. what the difference is, but it's, it's such a different type of high that I literally would just go sit down on the corner and wait for my next hit of heroin. Right. And it would just, it would just build. So within three months of me smoking, I smoked for three months, then the IV came. Right. I, I started building this tolerance on smoking it like this isn't lasting long enough. And I'm mm. now I'm homeless and now I need a longer hit. And like the desperation just keeps building and you'll do anything to not have to feel sick again. And so then I started to inject.
1: You, you know how you said that going from from uh, pills to heroin, uh, it, it was an easy jump. It is like it was out of necessity, just boom, right to it. Right mm-hmm. now. I'm, I'm wondering. A lot of people. I've talked to people that have, you know, gone through recovery before and they'll say at one point in my life, I told myself I'd never put a needle in my arm. Then look at me now. And so at one point it must have been a taboo for you or something like, well, I'm, as long as I'm not shooting up or whatever, did, did you have that? And if so, how did you bypass that the first time you decided to actually shoot up? Initially,
2: yes, which is why I chose to smoke it, right? You know, I was like, you know, my brother was a long-term meth user, you know, and our family suffered a lot through his addiction when I was younger. And I was like, I will never do meth. That's just one thing I'll never do. I can't do it. I saw what it did to my brother, blah, 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 blah. You know, and nobody, like you said, nobody grows up to be an addict like i did everything that utah girls are supposed to do right i got married in the temple i was raised lds i did everything right i went to college you know never could i have imagined that i would put a needle into my arm right so the first time i did was very intimidating very scary and i really had a hard time with it i had to have somebody else do it for me i was terrified Mm. terrified. So Mm. I did have those internal moments of like, don't do this. This is bad. You're going to die. Right. So I had that, I had that Mm. narrative going on within my head. But after that first shot, forget about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'll bet the, the intensity was, 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 well, and I mean, it sounds like the way you're describing that it it is kind of hard to describe because you're saying like a feeling of hopelessness and, and shame. But hopelessness and shame would also, like, indicate that you give a shit at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, if if you're hopeless, that means you, like, it, it's like you, you have... You know, you mm-hmm. thought you had a future and now you don't. And as a result of that, you're like, oh, man, I, I don't I've lost all hope or shameful. Like you, you, you feel bad about things that you've done and who you are. So it's like those things, but also at the same time, numb to the point where you don't give a shit, like well, simultaneously. that like, what a state of mind that must be. Yeah. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah.
2: Well, the fix becomes more important than the feelings
1: right you know can you explain that
2: yes so you know you're you're in in such a place of desperation right and your Mm -hmm. body needs this to function right because you have convinced yourself that you will die if you don't have this feeling or if you don't maintain this to where you don't have a withdrawal so the fix becomes the necessity everything else goes out the window and the longer i was out there using and the longer that i was shooting up and the longer that i was trying to feed that need within my body nothing else mattered. I can, mm-hmm. I can tell you, I was, I'd sit on this corner. I was on the same street for two years, literally sleeping on the street, tents, tarps in the middle of winter on the same street for two years. And I remember I w- I woke up and it's Christmas and I'm like, holy shit, it's Christmas. Right. And then the next holiday would go And the next and just time was just passing, passing. Well, and then you're just taking anything you can get on the street until you can get your next heroin hit, right? So it was meth, it was heroin, it was whatever you got. Like, if you don't know, give it to me, I'll tell you what it does. That's where you go, right? It becomes that basic need of necessity of to just function. To stay, I mean, and that's and that's how you think. I need this yeah. to stay alive. I need this to function. I need this, and that, nothing else matters. Soon, like, as time progressed, mm-hmm. I would, I convinced myself my kids are better off without me. I don't care if I die, you know? And my life is worth not living anymore, you know? Two overdoses.
0: So you, what, over, Jesus. Like, uh did you just pull out of them? Somebody use Narcan, or what happened with yeah, overdoses? Yeah,
2: Narcan, um... One of them I pulled out of him. I was in a hotel room by myself, oh. robbed some dude on the street. $600, went and got myself a hotel and bought a whole bunch six, of six hondo? Trucks. Jeez, yeah, what was 600. that guy doing with six <laughs> hondo? I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. I've ever had $600, not my, my finest moment. Robbed. If he's listening, find me. I got you. I will pay you back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: But I I, I loaded up on on the heroin I got. And I, what I did was I would put the heroin and the meth in the same shot. Mm-hmm. They call it a goofball. And I'd mm-hmm. shoot them both up at the same time, right? Because it was just, I needed more. I needed it to be more intense.
0: You said that's called a goofball? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. And so
2: I would, I I loaded up one of the biggest shots I've ever done. Huh. Right. And so I'm in this hotel room by myself, shoot it up, and I was gone. I was out. Came out of it, thank God. Yeah. With the needle still hanging out of my arm. Oh, you wow. went right out. I was out. I was out. Second time I was in the park. Yeah. And the, the guy, and, and this is when Utah Harmony harm reduction was starting to really get popular.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Because um, Mindy Vincent, she started mm-hmm. really pushing it out on the streets. Right. And so naloxone was starting to get flooded on the streets. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I mean, luckily, because I went out at the park and a and a guy at the park injected me. Wow. So I came out of that one.
0: Yeah. Man, I heard some weird stories about that, like Narcan and naloxone. Like it was, because it's been around for a while. Yeah. Like it's not a new thing. But um, I, uh, yeah, because it was like, controversial, obviously, you know, like, uh, because you can do a prescription and just get it. And it's like, you know, she did a lot to get every, what's her name again? Mindy. Mindy Vince. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to give a
1: 30 second explanation of what Narcan is?
0: Well, it's, it's just a, it's just a, um, uh, yeah, a chemical, I guess. I don't know what the hell to call it, uh, that you put up people's nose and there's a few different ways. Like there's a few different things, but you just spray it up their nose and it immediately, takes off all the opiates that's bonded to your opiate receptor so it immediately pulls you out of withdrawal like super quick but my or it pulls you out of 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 overdose like right away and then only for opiates only for opiates that's right it only works for opiates so but uh but i i remember um hearing i think it was a presentation that she did and i was sitting in but I, i remember it got a little unpopular for a minute because I know police officers would like give it to people who weren't overdosing. And then of course they'd go into immediate withdrawals. They were just high, which is, I mean, obviously, right. Obviously a dick move. Cause I have to imagine that probably felt like crap going right into withdrawals. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like immediate withdrawal. So it's like, yeah, worst case scenario, but it'll save your life too though. So, and there was a lot of, I know too, there was a lot of, uh, there was a time when you, you could call the police, and um and they would come and they'd send an ambulance, but because you're trying to save your buddy, you'd get arrested because you were using with them. So now they kind of pass like Good Samaritan law. They but but and of oh. course. Of course, EM, uh, EMTs would have Narcan and they'd be able to use it, right? But now they've made it so anybody can have it. Like anybody can have it at their disposal. And, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds like it's not like you were deliberately attempting to overdose at the time. No, like, yeah, nobody does,
2: right. right? I think
0: it just gets to a point where you're going and going and going and going and then your body's like see ya bro I can't okay you're
2: not eating you're not drinking you're not taking care of yourself I mean the only thing that you're ingesting into your body is the drug you know
1: was there anything so you said the first time you overdosed on the goofball it was you 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 had a lot loaded up in the in the syringe Mm um the like was that how it was with the second one as well Is that it was more than like, was there anything different about the time that you overdosed compared to usual?
2: The second time? No, it was used. it was my normal dose that I would do, you know, any
1: idea why it th- put you over there i mean it
2: could be a a number of reasons right like did i eat that week oh you know
1: that week or it could be the week
2: yeah like i mean we (sighs) go weeks without eating you know i mean, just wasting away on a corner i mean it was really dark
1: that's a hell of a way to put it or it could be like the
0: it could be the purity of it too you know what i mean because a lot of it yeah a lot of it gets stepped on you know they're trying to (laughs) do you remember that one dude i bought uh he had protein and i bought it from him and uh and and he ended up putting uh he like cut he stepped on the protein powder that i got he ended up putting like
1: do you remember that (laughs) i I don't remember the details but i remember i remember he got yeah yeah like sawdust or something yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) wasn't it wasn't it sawdust? something dumb like that and i was like dude this protein
0: tastes weird man i
1: was at the apartments
0: right yeah 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 yeah. i love meathead shit but they uh (laughs) But I mean, yeah, anybody Shamesies. well yeah, it makes sense. Like anybody will will to make that last longer, whatever they're trying to do, mm-hmm. will step on it, and then now you're you're not as pure. And then if you get a like a a shot that's more pure, yeah, then your body just can't take it. That makes sense. Yeah. So you were so then how long would you say like the heroin how long was that happening? Two years. Two years. Mm-hmm. And then and then what happened? Because obviously things turned around.
2: Like how did I come out of it? Yeah. Oh, so I mean, I was I got arrested seven different times, 267 days in jail on misdemeanor possession charges. And I was up at that, like the six months before I finally went into treatment, I was up at the hospitals begging for treatment. I was into the resource centers begging for treatment. And I hear I am just another homeless person, not worth their time, right? And the resources just weren't as expansive as they are that we see today. We've made a lot of progress in the last Three, four years in Salt Lake.
0: Okay. Like, what kind of responses would you get when you're asking for treatment?
2: There's nothing available. Right, you're not bad enough, you really? know, and I couldn't <sighs> get into the tre- I had no idea that I was- couldn't get into the treatment programs in jail because they told me my criminal history was not extensive enough to qualify for treatment. They told you this
0: in the jail. In the jail. So you gotta commit a few more crimes and then we'll work to with you. To be
2: valid, right? Wow. Like I overdosed twice, you literally scraped me off the street. But yeah. yeah. they're telling more criminal me
1: history? that I need
2: a criminal history to get into treatment. It was ridiculous, right? And so, um, $67 million of funding from the federal government came into Salt Lake for operation Rio grant. Oh okay? yeah, that's right. And oh, yeah. so I was, I was swept in that, in that operation sweep. And so on the seventh time that I was arrested, um, I got arrested with one of the 2000 people that week. Right. And, uh, it was different this time. This was the first time I ever went into jail and they, I just, they, you know, put you on the intercom, Dash will go in the room. And like, I'm like, what, what are, you know, who am I meeting with now? Like, you know, this is my seventh time in jail. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a regular by now. And, you know, you start to build that distrust of the system after that many times, after really trying to seek help and, and just getting shut down, you know, Mm, every door put back out into my addiction. I'm like, why even try at this point, you know, but this time was different. They had LDAs in the jail. They had the assessment team in the jail. They had everybody Right there in the middle of the jail, it was crazy. I've never seen the jail like that. We walk in to go meet with these LDAs, and it was just like this this round table of services, What's right? LDA. Your legal defender. Thanks. Okay. And so we and so I went and met with the legal defender. Then I met with Mark Augustine, who who was the the legal defender within the gels. Then I met with the University of Utah assessment team and and uh I was already convinced like, no, I'm not going to take any help. I'll just terminate. Right. And they offered me a treatment center. I'm not going to say their name. Cause I've got a lot of love for them, <laughs> but they Fair offered enough. me a specific treatment center <clears throat> and I was like, no, I'll, I'll do six months and terminate. I'm not going. And the reason why was because I was selling on the streets. That's how I supported my habit. Right. And I'm like, you're going to put me in a facility to everybody I sold drugs to and expect <sighs> me to get better. And so I was speaking to Mark Augustine about it and he was like, and he coached me on how to go through my assessment and he was super supportive. And so I wasn't going to talk about my domestic violence or any of that stuff when I went through my assessment, but he's like, you need to speak about it. And I did, and I got real honest in my assessment and, um, they told me I was going to house of hope, which is an all female program. And it was an incredible for me. I, I was always that girl, right? There's always those girls. And, and I was one of them of, I don't have any girlfriends. Like girls don't like yeah. me, blah, blah, blah. Right? Like that was me.
0: So I was a little sus. And, yeah. I mean, <laughs> legit, right? I, I, had like, issues, right? Your <laughs> I had issues, right? I had issues,
2: right? But I was so yeah. fortunate enough to get, I got the last bed at House of Hope. And House of Hope is a women and children's program. And I didn't have my children, right? I wasn't going into the program to get custody of my children. My children are out of state. And so they had one adult house and I was blessed enough to go there. So I did three months of treatment, Uh, residential. And then I did two months of outpatient. And then I did two months of sober living. But all of this was possible because of that funding from Operation Rio Grande. And my whole life turned around. So therapy was great for me, right? I learned the coping skills, you know, I was able to work on a lot of stuff that I didn't even know was present within my life. And I started to build sustainability thanks to the funding options that I had through that program. But it was the relationships, right? Okay. So my boss today was my legal defender in jail. Oh, wow. How incredible, right?
0: Yeah. Would you chalk that – I mean, <clears throat> this is kind of a cliche question, but, I mean, it comes up a lot. And, and it, maybe you've already kind of answered it, but, like, I mean, it would you say that the reason – why this was effective. Cause sometimes people want to know like, well, what was it that, that really helped? What was the, the secret sauce? And it doesn't sound like there's any like one thing, but it sounds like the relationships that were there. And then uh, like a, a, a group of people who actually gave a shit enough to help you was a, a big part of how you were able to pull out of this. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I'll tell you the one thing and it, it, it all of those things helped me get to where I wanted to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like those were all necessary steps for me to obtain sobriety. But the thing that 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 got me to where I am today was the willingness to surrender to the fact that I needed help. Yeah. Right. And I can tell you the exact moment. Yeah. It was right when the sweep was coming in on the <clears> street and that they bring the trucks in. And whatever you couldn't move, they threw away, or you're getting arrested, or all your stuff was getting thrown. And there's this famous picture of me all over the news. Oh, right? it's a doozy. It's crazy. And so I'm all I ever had was a, a bike and a backpack on the street. Cause I was moving around sailing, right? Just little street sailor. And so I, that's all I had. But as I'm rolling off the street, cause I see the cops come in, there is a homeless vet on oh, the corner, wow. a homeless vet has his basket. Has all of his belongings in Veteran,
0: there. not a person who helps animals. <laughs> <laughs> a homeless yeah. veteran, yeah. right? Yeah. I
2: mean, he's been on the streets living with us for years, right? And so, like, um, disabled, couldn't move his basket fast enough, and they were getting ready to throw everything he ever owned away. And I, rem- I stopped my bike, grab the basket, and I turn, and I hear, click. And there's a news reporter right oh. there from the Salt Lake Tribune. Oh,
0: they thought that was your basket.
2: And they blasted that over the front page of the salt lake tribune and the headline was you cannot hug a thug out of crime but it was the moment that i heard that click that this went through my head if you don't do something different this will be the last picture your kids will ever see of you
0: oh wow i get i get chills yeah every
2: time i say that because it was that moment of like you choose death or you choose life right here right now
0: Oh, that's wow. intense. And it was fitting you that Dude... Yeah. Cause I've seen that picture. I've seen cause you, you shown it to me and then I, I think you showed it at the presentation, didn't we? Cause you gave like yeah. contrasting pictures. I was always, I wanted to look what's in that basket though. Can you imagine like if there was some playboys like front and center in that basket? He's got a barbecue.
2: <laughs> he's got a couple blankets. It's like, Whoa, Amy,
1: damn. <laughs> yeah. You're all, Hey, that's, yeah. it's not mine.
2: <laughs> hey, no judgment. Come no, I'm here. not judging either.
1: <laughs> playboys. <laughs> had, had you been like, thinking along those lines and then the, the shutter of the camera like kind of push that in or was that just like an organic thought in the moment? Like just all of a sudden had that, this will be the last picture if I don't get it. What was it again?
2: If, if you don't do something different, this will be the last image your children will ever see of you. Well, again, I had been trying to get into treatment six months before. Like I just couldn't do it anymore. Right. right, Like I just couldn't do it anymore. But it was, that was the moment of like, no more right? It was that complete rock bottom moment for me. And you'll speak to uh, so many different people who have struggled with addiction and they will tell you the same thing. You have to have that moment because Mm -hmm. if it's not something that I want, that I'm not willing to do whatever it absolutely takes to get sober, I am never going to fight for it, right? You put me into treatment, you tell me to go to treatment, you tell me to choose something different, it ain't going to matter to me, right? right? But if it's something that I actively want that I have completely surrendered to that's why treatment worked for me because I was willing to do whatever it took to not die
0: that 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 idea of surrender I think people hear that and then they sometimes chalk that up to like it's, it's very, so in, and you know this and you're going to learn this and you, of course, you know this, like our, our, our profession is riddled with cliches, right? Just dumb shit that I don't think anybody even knows what they mean. But that idea surrender is one of them. And I think a lot of people hear that word and roll their eyes, you know, but I think about that, like, and, it, and you compare that to, um, like you and me, I mean, I just had a surgery on my bicep not too long ago, right? I, I, I think I surrendered day two that this was not something I could overcome, and I needed professional help to solve this issue, right? Same thing with you. Mm-hmm. Like the moment it snapped, it rolled up, and you, like you knew, you knew, right? Yep. And I think the the weird thing about that is when you're dealing with a physical injury, your surrender is, I know it, I already know it immediately, right? And there's not a whole lot of like. Shame or anything associated with it. It's just like you know. Well, I was pretty embarrassed about mine, but still, there's not a whole lot of shame associated with it. But I'm I am quick to seek help and follow all the instructions. Whereas that, like you're saying, the whole concept of rock bottom. Like people, I think you use that as well. I haven't hit rock bottom yet. I was like, dude, that that is a concept. It's not a. It's not a. It's not like they'll ever have the same opportunity. That, oh, I was grabbing a homeless veteran's, you know, basket and walking across the street and somebody took a picture of me. That's never going to happen to another person, <laughs> right? The rock bottom is a concept that's different to everybody. Yeah, it's perception-based. Right. And I'm saying, mm-hmm. like, well, it it and, and there's for sure people that have gone way lower than that, right? Sure. And, and I'm like, well it's just a concept. So at what point can't you just say, yeah, I, this, this is an issue bigger than me and I need to reach out for help because I can't solve this problem on my own. And it sucks because it's like everybody's toleration of the, their threshold is different. And it sucks sometimes people cause they'll, they'll use up to the point of death, you know, because mm-hmm. they can't get to that point where they can just cross that bridge.
1: Man, yeah, it, exactly. And the, the hard part is like, I've I've tried and failed to like try to help clients generate that mindset that seems to just come organically for people. Like you so someone you didn't say anybody like talked you into it or that someone someone said something to me just the right way. It wasn't I mean, maybe there was things along the way, but it wasn't that. It was a very real raw moment that the Whatever constellation of events happened at that exact moment, shutter clicked, boom, there's the thought. And that that's what created this moment. And, you know, we, we end up with a lot of clients that are court ordered to treatment. Hmm. And so they, you know, they're being told, like, if you want to stay out of jail, one of the things you have to do is go talk to, you know, this dope or whatever. And, <laughs> and so, Sucker. yeah. So, you know, clients will show up and like, you know, sometimes, well, sometimes they, they hit the ground running and they're ready for change and that's, that's great. But other times, you know, they'll, they're telling us what they think we want to hear or, you know, they're just actively resistant or, you know, in denial, pushing away their problems, all, all stages that I've heard you say you kind of went through in earlier on in your addiction. And is there like, I'm assuming this is a no, but like, is there anything that you can think of that we could do in our profession that could nudge someone closer to having that type of moment yeah
2: show them the people who have actually achieved what you're asking them to achieve because that's what changed me right I was mandated I was court ordered to treatment okay. I was in drug court I got sanctioned I had the same mindset you know like I'm just gonna go do my time get out go back to my addiction like okay. I had no I had I had no belief that I could ever get sober. Right. And, uh, it was sitting in those rooms and the treatment was great because it showed me how to change and it showed me what I needed to change. But the only reason I changed is because another addict showed me that I could, that is what changed for me was seeing somebody that had already had achieved sobriety. Right. They know, like, don't tell me, you know what I've been through because you don't know what I've been through unless you can back that up. I ain't gonna believe you, I don't trust you, I don't believe you, and you have no idea what it feels like to be me into the darkness that I have experienced. And so that's why I love the whole peer support thing, right? You know, I mean, you, you gotta do the therapy, you gotta dig in, they've gotta be willing. But if it's going to be beneficial for them to have that person that they can have that relationship on a lived experience level, I've seen a lot of change there.
0: Do you feel like you can bring like because now you're going to be a counselor, right? And do you feel like that what what unique um, uh, perspective or qualities can you bring to the table that you feel like that will help people cross up? Because what you're saying is great. Like, I I have to declare to clients, I have no clue what you felt like, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I look at, I look at saying, well, I don't know how good a basketball Phil Jackson was, but I know he coached Michael Jordan. So he has been doing something right. And that's kind of like, you know, what I'm trying to do um, with you. I'm not, I'm not saying that I know exactly how it is because I don't, but for you, you get to bridge that gap because you're bringing not just the the, the knowledge base of like going to training or, you know, camp, the courses or anything like that, but you also have lived experience. And yeah. how do you feel like that uniquely will help clients moving forward? It's already
2: helped. I mean, within my practicum already, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I literally walk into a room and they see that mm-hmm. I've lived addiction, right? I'm, I have daily scars on every part of my body, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, I, it, I love that piece of I have to be very careful with that piece right you don't yeah. have to keep those those lines very clear within within that context of a cl- from a client to a clinician but it it has opened up so it's just immediate trust with these clients because they know i've lived it right, right? like it's it's just a different experience i've never been held more accountable in my life than from another addict hmm.
0: so so you could bypass a lot of i mean i always <clears throat> when we're building rapport i think we're pretty good at it you know but we gotta grease the wheels for a minute right. before I start to impact the client you we don't have, to, have
1: that buy in with them
0: immediately. Right. Yours is kind of baked in the cake, like when you go in there, you feel like you can bypass all that. It's like, oh, well, obviously like this is a person who I can trust and listen to and have, they've had some lived and shared experiences along with me and you know, they're not going to be just talking out of their ass, which so many counselors do anyway.
2: Well, the bullshit excuses are gone. Right. Right. Like I will see right through you, you know, like, and that's what, and that's the thing. That's why recovery community is so powerful is because we will immediately recognize what you're doing, why you're doing it. And we know that you're not, you can't pull bullshit with us. Right. Right. We've played every, we've played every game that you've played. And that's why the recovery community works so well. It's because we're able to recognize that instantly. And we have that trust already because I'm telling you from a place of where I have been Mm to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's just a different, it's just a different type of, of connection. Um, but which which has just been great for me, you know, which is a, I know my space when within a clinical realm. right? Yeah. Like I am not going to work with children, can't work with children. I know that there's that <clears> something that I cannot do. Right. Like I don't have any interest of doing family and marriage counseling. Like No, that's
0: smart. <laughs> substance
2: use. It's what I know. It's what I lived. I you know, and it's where I feel I can be the most beneficial, you know. So I know where my realm is. And, you know, but it, there's a clear line there. You know, you got to be very careful Especially as somebody that's lived it, because they want to take that relationship and negate negate the the roles. Does that make sense? You know? Right.
0: Like we we have this this uh, this camaraderie because of our shared past. Right. And as a result of that,
2: I don't have to take you serious.
0: Right. This 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 professional relationship isn't really as professional it needs to be. Cause right. we're, 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 you know, cut from the same cloth.
2: Right. So it, it's a delicate balance. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a, a, something that I'm really going to have to work on as I really dive into the clinical world. Right. I mean, I've still got some schooling left. I still got, you know, experience to build, you know, things to learn. Yeah. But yeah.
1: Do you, do you think, so I mean, I kind of wonder if, you know, you, you're at a certain point in your recovery where you're obviously pretty confident and able to speak on what you've been through and you have a good idea of what it takes to help people because you've been there you've been on the other end of it all these things and you know do you think there's anything any type of client or any type of situation that you would have to be mindful of to not slip back up yourself any anything that might trigger a, a series of thoughts and feelings you thought you had had locked up or
2: as as far as for me to relapse yeah. type of thing yeah uh, I, you know I, I i've had people ask me that before right my situation's different and and it's hard for me to explain this right i was 35 when i fell into addiction i i had social skills well developed by the time i started addiction right i didn't have 10 years of trauma i didn't go through childhood trauma i didn't have some of the lived experiences that a lot of people have that will instantly trigger them right i lost my mom to suicide i needed to learn how to cope with that yes i went through a horrible marriage and needed to learn how to cope with that but that's where it ends for me right so i mean i can hear somebody else's marriage story whatever it's not it's not a triggering thing for me i had a two-year use and then i went back to what i always knew is how to function in society i had those skills right so you know when you think about what my recovery looks like versus somebody who has had a very hard life who has had a long stint of use and we know i mean studies show what mm-hmm. use does at an oh. early age on development i was already fully developed or you know so yeah, i do. didn't right. i didn't have the same impact And the same triggers that most people have. So it's been easy for me to sustain my recovery because I don't have all of the barriers and things that other people have had to overcome. Well,
0: and it seems like, like you're, I mean, I talk about this a lot. Like, I don't think relapses are any like one, you know, like one thing that happens. I think it's like a series of things that happen to the point where. Some people don't even see it coming, but Mm -hmm. then like every life decision that you're making is either, you know, moving you further away from relapse or closer to it, depending on whatever you're doing. And like, so what I hear you saying is that you already had a set of skills like socially and, and already cognitively that, that were useful prior to getting Mm -hmm. into this. And then a two year, you know, problem with this and back to it, which, I mean, it kind of, I like that you, it's almost, uh, having like somebody who's like peer recovery services. Like, I really love that because it almost is like in the work world. I, I think of it almost like, like, as an apprenticeship, which I know that's not what it is, but like what I was thinking was, okay, if I wanted to be a carpenter, right? Um, you could give me all the tools to be a carpenter, like you, whatever those tools are. Okay. And then say, make a cabinet. I couldn't make a cabinet. <laughs> well, Maybe I wouldn't be a piece of shit, yeah. but it'd be awful. I need a carpenter to show me how to do that. Mm. You know what I mean? So like therapists, I think we're good at talking about tools and tool usage. You know what I mean? But I don't think we're good at the practical things that a peer is going to bring to that that knows what they're dealing with, right? And so I know it's not a one-to-one comparison, but... I've always thought about that, that having the peer support and being able to be in that, having somebody who's been there and done that, it, it helps you apply whatever the tools they are better. I mean, yeah, we're we're learning that. And I trust me, I work with clients who have I walk them through a behavior chain and they're like, and I'm like, You've never done this? Like, I mean, most of us just do that in our heads on our own, you know, and they're like, What? You know, they have no concept of that. So having somebody to kind of walk you through that, I think is really, really kind of helpful um on that front. Like and, and there's probably a lot of people listening to this and they may be struggling with addiction right now. Like if you if you could only say one piece of advice that they would hear, what would it be to them?
2: I mean, one piece of advice for me, it would be just walk through the doors, right? Like you don't have to have it all figured out. And, and the scariest thing that comes when you're even contemplating getting sober is like all of the things you have to do to get it back to a normal life, right? And it's just so overwhelming and it just seems so unachievable. And when I think back about it, all I had to do was walk through the door, right? All I had to do was walk through the doors of that treatment center and just let go, right? And I just had to let go. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I never thought I'd get sober. I never thought that I was gonna be able to achieve the life that I have today. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't just because I don't have triggers that I stay sober or that I was 35 and had the skills. It's that I had put in the work in my recovery to build a support system, mm-hmm. to engage in a recovery community, to do what I needed to do to stand in my own integrity and build a life because this was my one chance at my own rebirth, right? Yeah. But all I had to do was just walk through that fucking door.
1: Yeah. And yeah. just let go. Yeah. I love the simplicity of that because the the recovery process itself is such a like multifaceted, like intense thing to go through over time that, that like that can be overwhelming, but just kind of get in the door and we'll take care of it. You know, we'll, 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 we'll as professionals, we'll walk you through it. We'll get you connect with people, but just to take that step. Yeah, literally and step you're going to hate
2: door. it. I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you right now, you're going to hate it. You're so expect
1: that, right? Expect
2: the fact that you are going to be the most uncomfortable you have ever been in your entire life.
1: How do you make that okay with yourself? You just, let
2: just, go. Mm-hmm. You, you just remind yourself, I'm choosing this so that I don't fucking die tomorrow. Yeah. Right? And, and I and I had to have that narrative every single day, like one more day alive. One more day alive. I hate it. I hate the girls around me. Mace, I feel concerned that you left your dish in the sink. It affects me in the following <laughs> ways. I can't live in a clean house. Like, are you kidding well, me? I
0: feel you're a bitch. Yeah. Like, yeah exactly. it, it, as long as you started with I like, feel. It is literally
2: like the most... It, uncomfortable place to be right because it's like you're a, i'm a grown-ass woman i'm 40 years old and i'm sitting in a treatment center you know with 18 17 25 all ages right and i and i have to learn how to function in this right and i just get, kept going back to that same thing you, you are must have alive must trusted today. the process too you. you must have I had to let go because i did not want to die and the yeah. hard days that's all i had to tell myself oh. and then i and then i start to build right and then you start to hear the stories and then you start to build the relationships and you know treatment's not fun God, right dude. if it was easy <laughs> right. we would all be sober we wouldn't have an epidemic going on right now if it was so easy to get sober it's hard as fuck i ain't going to lie
0: yeah then you have one of us sitting there we're like in the group, like, mmm, mm, powerful. Mm. What is cliches. that? What is that? Mmm, like, you know like, <laughs> I, man. I sit in conferences and stuff. And I hear people, mm, all, all over the damn place. I'm That's like, it, what is, it, you? is it
1: reassuring?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> well, so, and you're, you're definitely like on the, on, uh, um, you've took it to another level because. Now, I mean, you do really good work, particularly – I mean, the, the the crossroads between substance use and the criminal justice system is a razor-thin line, yeah. right? This, this is a, a neurobehavioral disorder that we have chosen to criminalize the 100%. behavior to get there, right? And so – um, I, I, I think eventually, which when I'm teaching, I always talk about this, like you're going to cross paths with the criminal justice system and, and you just need to get used to that. Right. Um, and there's an elegant way of going about that, but you now like your career and, and kind of what, what you represent now, can you talk a little bit about that how you're helping clients?
2: So, I mean, I started early within the behavioral health space, right. Working at a treatment center as a support staff. And then I went from there to working at VOA detox And I worked from VOA detox to USARA as a as a peer support specialist within the hospitals is what i did i would deploy 24 7 into every salt lake county hospital (laughs) and so that's where my passion started to come from right as i started to work and that's why i went into social work i was like oh yeah this is what i want to do i'd be driving home two in the morning meeting with a client in the emergency room and just having a connection that i would never have and i'm like this is bigger than me right so that's where that's where the social work passion came Mm from that's why i'm in school that's why we're getting the degree Mm -hmm. but then i started interning up on legislation right so every legislative session i started to intern and i was like oh you're gonna hear me right yeah you know you're gonna hear me because it's the system is broken the system is broken i had 29 charges right i mean there was only gosh i want to say 13 that were criminal the rest of them were all minor infractions and stuff Mm. um but just a, a turntable of just you're sitting on a corner and I'm getting criminalized for putting a needle into my arm, right? Like, my crimes were against myself, but yet I have a criminal history record that's going to just put so many barriers for me in my life, right? I was just charged and charged and charged and charged and charged, and I wasn't hurting nobody. I was sitting there, and I had paraphernalia, and I had drugs, and you caught me, right? Like, and now forever I'm going to have to be held down by this criminal history report. When I got early into recovery, 12 housing applications, I was denied. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> And I'm supposed to sustain get recovery, and I'm supposed no. to, like, not have any recidivism back into Pull the jail. Pull yourself up but, by like, your bootstraps, exactly. but I can't get <laughs> yes. an apartment, right? I got a job, right? I got a job. I'm paying my taxes, but nobody will give me an apartment on a possession misdemeanor charge, right? And so it, there, there's number one. So I started to get angry, and so I'm like, what can we do about this? So mm-hmm. I started interning, and I started learning about the legislative process, and, then, and it just sparked a fire in me. Now, within the relationships that I have built within my recovery, I was super blessed. Again, it was Operation Rio Grande, so every legislator, every politician was involved in this. I became very close friends with Congressman Ben McAdams, and he has been a support for me since day one. I still talk to him to this day. Um, Senator Hughes, same thing. He's been a massive support for me and Noella. So I had such a great support system. Mm -hmm. I had the right people, right? And so they started pulling me in, like, okay, come be a voice. And I was this token heroin addict recovery success story, right? Mm -hmm. And it it was a lot of pressure to be that person. Every news station wanting a story. Amy, former heroin addict, Amy, former. You know, but it was an opportunity to be a voice.
0: So you were using that as like not just a a, like a token heroin addict. You were using that as a, a platform to say. Oh, yeah. But hey, dummies, while we're doing this, a lot of things need to change if you 100%. want other people to be successful. Right. Because Yeah, I can just hear people being like, why don't those junkies just pull themselves up by the bootstrap? Like,
1: right. okay. Right. Easier
0: said than done.
1: Like, that's not... And try getting denied at 12 different housing applications.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I I am trying to... I'm doing everything I should do and everything's working against me. Barrier, so, barrier, barrier. Right, barrier. right. And it, which, again, that just kind of makes you be like, like wow okay why am i even doing this at that point yeah
2: and i and i fit the mainstreams media like narrative right here's a white girl from Utah you know I mean let's talk about privilege I use that privilege mm-hmm. to my advantage like mm-hmm. if you're going to give me a platform I'm, I'm going to use it to I'm going to use it to every advantage I have to help try to change the system sure so long story short uh kept building my relationship with Noella Sudbury Noella Sudbury is an attorney by trade she is the attorney that passed the Utah clean slate law and so we had maintained this relationship throughout the behavioral health industry right and so I was working for Utah on naloxone at the time uh, with Senator Jen Plum And uh, Noella calls me and we started doing some legislative pushes to get the Utah Clean Slate Law passed. So I went up and I spoke with Governor Cox. I spoke with Noella, shared my story, you know, and just started trying to help push that narrative to get that law passed. And it was passed on February 10th of last year. And then Noella called me and was like, you know what, what about all the people who can't have automatic expungement? We need to do something for the ones that have felonies. We need to do some, give them a pathway at a second chance because Eight hundred thousand people in Utah have a criminal history. Eight hundred thousand. Yeah. And studies show that after within two people in this room. Well, yeah. Within <laughs> with months of an expungement, their rate their their pay goes up twenty percent. But seventy five percent. Say that again. Of, when yeah. after expungement. Yeah. Within months of their expungement, their pay goes up twenty percent. Wow. To not have that barrier, to not be a criminal, right? You see a theft charge, all of a sudden you're going to have to work 10 times harder to prove to me that you're not a thief because I'm giving you a chance at employment, you criminal. Right, right, right. And 75% of people who apply for expungement don't finish the process because it's too costly. It's too expensive. It's just too many barriers. If you don't have legal representation, you're not going to finish it. It's, it is a ridiculous process. Wow. And so, Noella Sudbury, being the human that she is, it was like, we need to do something different. So, she called me and she's like, let's start RASA. She's like, let's start RASA where we do three expungements for $500. We'll do 402 reductions to get people out of felony status. Let's just start chipping away at this. I mean, think about and it. And Hundred and sixty-six dollars a case. Yeah, that's unheard of for legal representation. Wow. Because you you could go to an
0: attorney, but they're going to charge you what? I mean, that much to even? I've, to I've
2: yeah. personally been through three expungements. I did mm-hmm. the one through what Salt Lake County when Salt Lake County offered their expungement clinic. Right. Uh-huh. I still paid three thousand dollars on my first expungement.
0: Wow, and is that like? And Rasa stands for.
2: So Rasa means erase. It's Latin for erase.
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay. So Time it's not a, it's not a. Uh,
2: it's not an acronym. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah. an
0: idiot. Yeah. So how? Well, so is that just out of the kindness of her heart, or how does she keep the lights <laughs> on?
2: I mean, we barely do. Right. We just help as many people as we can. Damn, I mean, we dude. are a startup company. I mean, we yeah. are, we are the company that has investors right now. We're keeping afloat. We've got a big overhead, but we care about the mission and that's, what's different. And we're getting ready to expand nationwide. Right.
0: But, yeah. But I'll bet, I'll bet though with that though, I'll bet you have so many people that can utilize those services. Like, cause normally if you get one client as an attorney, you're like, okay, let's do, you know, however many thousands of dollars and okay. And that's, that'll sustain me for a period of time. But if you get a ton, 800,000 clients that have a criminal history. That's a huge market that, I mean, and I'm not trying to think of numbers. I'm saying like, that's just, that's just smart on your guys's end to do it that way, but also like completely feasible for somebody who's looking for expungement to say, Oh, five hundo. Like I can scrape that up to get these things taken care of. You know what I mean? Like it's very doable and realistic. Whereas other times it's like, Oh, I'm not even going to try.
2: But the problem is, is the government fees. Right, so we charge three hundred dollars for five or five hundred dollars for three cases, Mm -hmm. right? But the government fees are more than the attorney fees. You're paying one hundred and fifty dollars per case just to file it with the court, and you're paying sixty five dollars per case to BCI just to obtain a certificate to file it. So if you've got ten cases, that's ten cases times one hundred and fifty times sixty five.
0: Why so much?
2: Because they're government fees, which is why (laughs) we are up on the hill fighting these fees. So last year, Representative Dunnigan. (laughs) passed a pilot program, and he passed a pilot program, House Bill 392, to Mm -hmm. waive those fees for a year because we wanted to get the data showing how many people would access recovery or expungement if we did this waiver. 75% 75% expungement petitions were up wow. just that one year. And now that ended June 30th. So we're going to be back up on that hill again this Asking year. For,
0: dude, it, it reminds me like I, I um because I'm a, I'm a hunter, right? And so I just, this last year I was super happy because I finally got a suppressor for my rifle. So I'm not the only jerk up there when we're hunting, making really loud noises when we're trying to be as know. quiet as possible. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes, AKA a silencer. But um, when I put in for that, dude, it was, it was, I paid, it was almost $300 that I paid for, not just the, just for the fees. Right. And then I had to do all this paperwork and fingerprints and all the rest of it. And then it went somewhere for almost two years before I got it approved. And I'm Super like, efficient. and I'm like, hold on, hold on two years. I, I want to be able to attach a camera to that piece of paper and see like, or anything. I'm like, what? what is taking this money and taking so long like i really where does that go where where could that possibly have gone it sit on some dude's desk and then you know he's like oh, not today you know <laughs> and then like it's government efficiency. You, no i'm i yeah. seriously i wonder like could it be more efficient could we you move past some of those things and and does it really and obviously it doesn't doesn't need to cost that much no. for for this and they've it prob- already
2: paid their restitution they've already done their time in jail they've already paid their debt to society but yeah we're going to put these all these more barriers for them to get this cleared off their record when it's been 15 years since the conviction or since the probation ended
0: and i and i have to imagine like people like uh representative Dunnigan or or, or, or right am I saying that right mm-hmm. okay or any of those people, they want contributing members to society. That's what they want. Right. They want tax paying citizens, right? That's what they want. So what it, it seems like in everybody's best interest to get the show on the road and get people back to square to where they're functional again. No, are right? they
1: making it hard intentionally or, or is it just, it's just how lack the system's of, always it's just, been. Yeah, it's just a big uh, right? system. And so
2: now after we pass clean slate law, let me tell you how, how long this process is. We pass that law. There's 800,000 records that are eligible now for automatic expungement under the law, which means now the court's got to start identifying them, clearing them out. We have one agency in the state of Utah, the Bureau of Criminal Identification, that does the BCI certificates. So what they do is you apply to them and they go through every criminal history you have in the state of Utah, and then they deem you eligible, and they they will give you a certificate number for each case to file with the court. You cannot file with the court without that certificate number, but it takes four months for BCI to process your application. So you apply, you wait four months, You finally get your BCI certificate back, okay? So now the attorney files, right? You file it. Well, under the statute of law, they have 60 days to respond. So there's another two months. So you wait 60 days, and hopefully the prosecutor responds, or if he doesn't, then we got to wait 60 days under the statute to petition the judge for a signature. Then the judge signs it, right? Then it goes to the court clerk, and then the court clerk Puts their little stamp on it and sends it back to BCI, which BCI is gonna take another additional eight to twelve weeks before they notify every entity, FBI, police, jail, whoever was associated with that case, and order them to remove it from their system. All said and done, you're looking at about a year. It yeah. is a very Heaven long forbid process. somebody's on
0: vacation somewhere in there. <laughs>
2: and in this year time frame, you are trying to find a job and get an apartment and live but you can't get one because you have this criminal record. Like the barriers are just unheard of.
1: Yeah. You're you're in such a unique position, like hearing you rattle off this series of events that happens. Like you, you have more of it. I've never had it explained like that. Like you've got the inside track. You've you're captivating enough in the way that you speak, that you've got all these politicians attention, you know, talking to us, sharing your story. Like you, there, you know, there's, emotion in your voice, but yeah. Clear articulation. I mean, you got, you're you're uniquely qualified for this exact thing. Yeah. It's pretty badass, actually. Yeah.
0: No, very impressive actually. And I, I, I mean, I genuinely, that's kind of why I was saying it'd be a good idea to interview you because um, not as a, I think, well, for all the reasons Jeff just said, but I mean, I just really appreciate people that have have turned around and, and are genuinely trying to give back because, and, and I think that just, is a testimony to others is like, oh yeah, well this is doable. Like we can do this. It's it's tough. Nobody ever said it was easy. You know what I mean? But that that people can hear that and say, yeah, this is definitely doable. Cause that's that I mean, do you kind of feel pumped when she talks about Absolutely. those things? I'm like, yeah, you dude. Like, passion. you know what I mean? I was yeah. like, I don't even have an addiction. I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that I want to start. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying that like, yeah, like it makes you kind of want to get involved and like do those things. And and it Hell, yeah. obviously puts an emphasis on, hey, what are we doing here? Like let's make things better. So, right. so no, I'm glad you're in the position you are in because yeah, I think you can help fortunate. a lot of people.
2: I mean, I, I got to think. Of Noelle Sudbury, man, she's an, just a phenomenal woman. You know, she was an attorney right out of right out of law school. Worked as an attorney in law school. Was a mm-hmm. vice president of Goldman Sachs. Like she's had a career. And then Mayor McAdams, when he was mayor at the time, called her to work in as this whole Rio Grande
1: well, thing. And you're good at giving praise to other people when we well, try to give in, it to you. I know. Incredible. Yeah, I, know. I, I mean, I appreciate that, <laughs> but I've
2: had a lot of incredible yeah. mentors along the way, right? Awesome. That have lo- allowed me to embrace, you know, the opportunities that they've been given me. Uh, and then amongst the recovery community, if I didn't have the support from the recovery community, I wouldn't even be sitting here in front of you today. Because yeah. Not to mention little- wonderful
0: teachers. I mean- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really the professor. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, that's uh, well. Yeah, we'll have to. You, you, I assume you talk to Noelle. We can. Uh, we can get her to come and talk about this, right? Oh, She'd probably want to pimp her ride. She's great. Cool. Yeah. We can, yeah. Even,
2: we can even pull Destiny Garcia from oh. we'll just pull them all
0: together. Sounds good, good. Would man. be
1: awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, website. Like, oh yeah. What?
2: So for Rasa, www rasa-legal.com if you're looking for attorney representation if you need a 402 reduction to get out of felony status or if you just don't want to deal with the process and give us a call we are happy to help you. If or- they
0: just R-A-S-A
2: Utah I know what
0: you're saying. I'm saying Let's be honest. Nobody does a WWW anymore.
1: Yeah, they, they just go yeah, to they Google Google search, R-A-S-A, <laughs> R A S A. Just do Ross Utah. Illegal. There it'll pop up, right? Like, <laughs> yeah.
2: For the simple people yeah. out oh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> here.
0: But you if, tell me when was the last time you put yeah. WWW? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Ever? Ever? But I think it's important
2: to mention. How do you do a clean dash? Sh- Shit.
0: Like, yeah.
1: Fuck like, yeah. yeah. okay.
2: yeah. <laughs> it. Clean Slate's a good option, too. Clean Slate's a nonprofit organization. So, Clean Slate Utah, just Google Clean Slate Utah. Utah, yeah, that's a nonprofit organization. They will pay for your BCI application. Mm-hmm. They will do your fingerprints. They will help you with pardon work. They're a great resource as well. So if people cool. are really looking at it, uh, you Lieutenant can do both. both organizations. Okay. Yeah.
0: And, and this is a this is a promise to come back as another guest spot 100%. with us. Okay. Hundred percent. I'll make you do a pinky <laughs> yeah. swear because yeah. <laughs> you don't want to touch that guy's <laughs> yeah. hands. Yeah. 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 So okay. Well, thanks for coming in. We really appreciate it. Thanks yeah. for having me. Well, there you have it, my friends. Another episode of the Guerrilla Social Work podcast is in the books. Big shout outs to Jeff Simon Screamer Moore and the unstoppable force that is Amy Daschle for enlightening us today. You know, life's like a jigsaw puzzle. Sometimes you find a piece that doesn't quite fit, but that's where the magic happens, right? So remember, stay curious, keep those spirits high, and always have a good therapist on speed dial. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Guerrilla Social Work Podcast signing off. We'd like to stay in chat longer, but we're lying. Good night.